Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the iFreak Show. This week, I'm your panel, Charles Maxwood, and I'm just going to do a quick shout out about mostvaluable.dev, which is kind of the new thing that I'm putting together. And it's mostly around career skills and soft skills. So if you're looking for a ways to level up, that's where you want to go. I'm here with Mohammed Azam. Mohammed, do you want to just let people know who you are, why you're famous and all that good stuff? I don't know about the famous part, but yes, my name is Mohammed Azam. You can call me Azam. I work for a company called Digital Crafts, and I am the lead instructor, and I teach full-stack web development. Oh, nice. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. What stack do you teach? So web development stack, which includes Postgres SQL, Node, React, Redux. I also include MongoDB and a bit of a Firebase also. Okay. So yes. we've had you on this show before, but what's your tie-in then to iOS and iOS development? So I've also been doing iOS development for many different companies on the side. I mean, now I do kind of like for individual clients, but I work with oil and gas companies since 2010 in Houston, Texas. So I work with, as a lead iOS developer for many different companies. Now I'm mostly creating Udemy courses on iOS development and writing blog posts, YouTube videos. And uh, sometimes I work for like different clients whenever I can get a break from my full-time job. Gotcha. Very cool. I'm assuming you're pretty easy to find on Udemy. Yes. If you just go to Udemy and if you just search for Mohammad Azam, in the search bar, then you should be able to find my courses. Nice. We brought you on today to talk about Swift UI design patterns. And it's interesting because some of the stuff that you gave us to prep on, it was talking about M- MVVM with Swift UI and things like that. And then it looks like a lot of this is kind of focused that way. So I'm a little curious as we get started. Yeah, you know, I'm not as familiar with some of these design patterns. And so I'm I'd like just kind of a brief intro to what MVVM is and then how it's used with Swift UI and maybe how that's different from how most people might do it. Yes. So MVVM design pattern, which some people don't know that MVVM is just a fancy name that was given by Microsoft. The real name of that design pattern is presentation model. And it's a pretty old design pattern, close mm-hmm. to like 2004, 2005. And the whole idea of MVVM It's a distribution of three different things, the model, the view, and the view model. So let's get the easy one out first, which is the view. View is something that you see on the screen. So if you're working on an Apple Watch, whatever you see on the watch, that will be the view. If you're working on an iPhone app, then obviously whatever you look at your eyes or with your eyes, whatever you see on the screen, that will be the view. The model is where all the business logic is. That is your actual data model. This is your business layer. This is your business rules engine. Everything that you're doing with the actual business of your app. And the final part is the view model. And the whole responsibility of the view model is to provide appropriate data to the view and also interactions. 
So if the model has a lot of different rules and engines, you don't really want to expose that particular domain model to the view because then it, you will create a very tight coupling between the view mm -hmm. and the business logic. So view model sits in between and view model only job is to provide the data to the view so that the view can display the data and the view can also interact with the data. So maybe you click a button and then you communicate with the view model and the view model communicate with the model. So right. that kind of a pattern. So this is called the MVVM design pattern. And it's a very old pattern, but now since due to the declarative nature of Swift UI, we are starting to see that how the MVVM design pattern can accommodate our needs when building Swift UI applications. Right, makes sense. So yeah, is, is MVVM, I, I haven't played as much with Swift UI as I'd like. Is MVVM kind of the preferred way to do it or? Yeah, so when you create a brand new Swift UI app, unlike the UI kit, which by default come with MVC, which is model view controller, the Swift UI app doesn't really come plugged in with any of the design patterns. So it's kind of like very open-ended and you can use any kind of design pattern that you want. But I think then it comes down to the declarative nature of Swift UI. And if we see other platforms or other frameworks like React, and we look at Flutter, which is very, very, very similar right. to Surf UI, they can also use the M they are also using the MVVM design pattern because of their declarative nature. So I think because of the declarative nature of Surf UI, it is much easier to program and utilize the MVVM design pattern rather than MVC or some other design pattern, which can be implemented, but it might be a little bit harder to implement those patterns because Swift UI doesn't really blend into those patterns. Right. Makes sense. So how do you then recommend that people get things set up and get things put together? So the first thing is obviously you need to create your views. And views is the easy part because that's just whatever you display on the screen. If you are working with a client-server application, which most of the applications are, then probably your domain layer or the actual model that you will have will be living on to the server side. That's where all the logic is and the client, which is your iPhone app, will be very dumb, very simple. And the only thing it, the client app or your iPhone app will be doing will be simply displaying the stuff and interacting with it, but it doesn't really have any business rules. Now you need right. to send the data from the server to the client and usually people get confused with that, that they think that that is the actual model or the domain layer. But mm -hmm. that object that you're sending from the server to the client, that is just a client-side model, or also known as a DTO, data transfer object. That object has to be as simple as plain, without any rules, without any interaction, or without any behavior. It has to be completely plain. And the only job of the DTO object is to simply carry the information from the server and give it to the client. Now, once it reaches the client and the DTO can have a lot of different fields, then it is time to massage that data and to accommodate the view, which is the job of the view model. So the view model sits in between your DTO or the client-side model, if you want to call it, between the view and the client-side model and exposes only the data that is required, that is to be needed for the view. Now, obviously, when you're using view model, you can have many different design patterns 
just for the view model itself. One of those design patterns just for the view model is a screen view model or container view model where you create one view model per screen and that particular view model can have child view models. So if we are thinking about displaying a list of movies, maybe we can have a view model which is called movie list view model. And by creating that approach, creating a container, a parent view model, we give ourselves a little bit more flexibility that we can add a search bar, we can add some buttons Mm -hmm. to it. And the actual model, which is the movie list view model, can contain other child view models uh, that can be read-only view models, meaning they just provide the data to the view, and that's pretty much it. They don't have any interaction. The All the interaction can be on the container view model, which in this case can be the movie list view model. So I've always found that approach to be very, very handy and useful because by creating a container, it gives us a little bit more flexibility to change the stuff or to add and remove things and to represent an entire screen using just one view model. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the way that I've seen this done most is primarily what you're describing with, yeah, just having one view model for the view and then mostly it's read-only. I mean, I don't usually see a view model that's actually taking interactions from the front end and sending it to the back end. But yes. Mm-hmm. That that could be a bias in the way that I have built apps in the past. Yeah, so one of the things that you can also do with Swift UI is something that I call view state view model. So if uh-huh. you are filling out a form, let's say you're filling out a movie information and you want the title of the movie, the year it was released, and different fields for director and producer, instead of creating four or five different state variables in your Swift UI, you can create a view model uh, in the form of a structure and you can expose that view model, which can be called view state because it's carrying the state. Right. And now you have only one particular object to maintain instead of four different properties. And that is a state that you can pass to the parent or the container view model, which can then convert it to a DTO object or the, or the actual yeah, DTO object or the actual model and then send it across the wire using a web service. So it's a different layers, kind of like at work, going from the view to the view model, to the DTO, and then finally to the web service, which sends across the wire to the actual database or whatever. Right. Is there is there a place where you wouldn't want to use view model, where you might use a different approach? I think, I mean, for... Then you will go away and move to a different, I think, design pattern. If you are using or if you want to display something on the view, it would always be a good idea to use a view model to cover up for the view, meaning the view model to simply give the information to the view so that it can display. Now, obviously, there are some other design patterns that we can go into, like the Redux design pattern, which is very different from the MVVM design pattern and primarily being used in React applications for for website development. Yeah, usually I see Redux, the Redux pattern used there, but I have seen a lot of reactive programming become popular with mm-hmm. with Swift on the front end. Yes, reactive programming using like functional things like Combine or Rx Swift. Those things can also be combined with MVVM to expose a layer of MVVM and to provide the data to the view. 
But now, since there are already like bindable things in Swift UI, those can be just done by using Surf UI itself. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. What What's the testability on this? Yeah. So the good part of this is when you are using this kind of approach of separating everything out and there is no actual behavior in the view, the view becomes very, very testable because uh-huh. all the behavior is inside the view model and you can easily test it out by either mocking it or just passing in the real view model. Usually, I don't recommend testing the view model itself, like using a unit test, because there's really no logic in the view model itself. Right. But you should definitely test it out in the whole uh, course of the application, meaning using integration tests or acceptance mm-hmm. tests, and then the view model will will be exercised and it will be tested on its own. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've seen this pattern played out in things like, I mean, front-end, for example, you know, they have a component. Mm-hmm. And so you can test a lot of the component stuff without actually having to test the that the UI did whatever it was supposed to do, right? And then from there, now that I've tested the behaviors and I've tested the kind of the basic stuff, you know, the, that the data is correct and that, um, you know, that it shows up at least in the view, then I can come back around and like you said, then I can do a full integration test front to back and I can get a really good idea of, okay, you know, this is what's working and this isn't what's working without having to rely on something that sometimes changes depending on how people are using it. Yes, absolutely. So is this something that you recommend that uh, your students start with? or I don't really go that much into like advanced design patterns with my uh-huh. students. They're kind of like big nerds in programming. We when we're learning about building node application or building a full stack application, we usually just separate it out, either using the MVC design pattern because it's a little bit more simpler to understand or just by creating different routes and different files for different routes. So we don't really usually dive into MVVM design pattern because it's a little bit more of an intermediate skill level. Yeah, makes sense. One other thing that I'm wondering about is, do you have, view models create other view models. So for example, if you had a list of things, mm-hmm. you know, the list gets its view model and its state contains a list, right, of movies. You gave that example, right? And yes. then it would create a view model for each item in the list, correct? Absolutely. So this is where the container view model comes in handy or the parent view model, which represents mm-hmm. the entire screen. But that particular view model that is representing the entire screen can also contain a list of other view models which represent only one particular movie. And if you have 10 movies, then obviously the array will eventually have 10 items. So how far down do you break this? Because I mean, a lot of these movie listings, you could have a title, you could have you could have an image, you could have a release date, you could have a summary, you could have ratings and things like that. And some of those it seems pretty simple, right? It's, it's an image, right? So you don't really need mm-hmm. to manage state or behavior on that, but like a rating or, you know, show times mm-hmm. off of an API or something like that might mm-hmm. might need it, right? So is, is that how you determine that? Is just based on how you're managing the state and behavior or is there something else to it? So, yeah, I mean, the hierarchy or the breakdown can go kind of like infinite number of levels depending on right. how you're breaking it. Usually when I try to break things, I try to break things in a way that how often 
I will be using it in the future. So mm-hmm. if I am displaying a one particular movie and that comes with a rating and that comes with maybe, I don't know, reviews or something, I can all gather it up into one particular view model. Reviews can get like another view model if you want to, but depending on how you're displaying it, if you're not going to display the views on its own, it will be part of a movie. So kind of like getting things close to each other. So one particular view model can represent the movie and maybe one other one can represent the reviews, but ratings can be part of the movie view model. So it all depends on how granular you have to be or and when and where you are displaying these things. Right. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from the Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. So do you tend to do that through some form of discovery. So initially you might just have the movie view model and then it's, okay, I, I seem to be touching this piece a lot. Yes, absolutely. So once we once I start, it's basically at least one we have, I have a parent view model and a separate view model for a movie. But if I think, if I think that, okay, reviews might not be a good idea to put in a movie view model, maybe it's a different view model, then I will have to separate it out. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Are there specific plugins or libraries or things that make this easier or is it pretty straightforward? It's actually pretty straightforward. I know that some people like to use Combine or Rx Swift Mm -hmm. for the automatic bindable things that you write in a a text box and it automatically populates a view model property. But now all of those things are already available in just plain Swift UI. So you don't really have to do any of those things. It will automatically just populate everything if you bind it correctly. Yeah, I, I tend to think of those things as sort of, I want to use the term orthogonal. You know, basically it's it's a layer unto itself that, you know, it just needs to know what's coming in and then where to send it, right? So yes. w- where mm-hmm. to throw events at. And so your view model is just going to be on the receiving end of that or on the sending end of that, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it, beyond that, it doesn't matter if you're using combined or Rx Swift or something else. Yes, and so if you want the support, like kind of like a two-way binding, yeah. so we can just simply use that, which is also available from the pattern MVVM, which is coming from WPF, from Microsoft. That also had two-way binding, and I think that's why they just rebranded it to MVVM. Right. The, the only thing that I wonder about that with that is that if I'm using that two-way binding or things like that, 
does that circumvent the view model that I'm setting up then as far as like keeping track of the state of whatever component or view I put on the screen? If you are, if you don't want to display or live data or the live changes, then you can simply not display that property. But yes, I mean, if you want to have a scenario where your view is just taking, a view model is just taking in the information from the view, mm-hmm. then it can be binded in that particular direction, meaning one way going from the view to right. the view model. And if the view is not displaying it, then we can completely ignore that part. A good example would be simply filling out a form to enter a new user or a registration form where we are simply taking in the information of username or email and password, but we are not trying to do binding from the view model back to the view. Yeah, it makes sense. I don't imagine this is too different if you're doing, say, macOS desktop applications versus mobile applications. But maybe you can tell me I'm wrong. I don't know. Is it more or less the same in both environments or does it change from one to the other? Yes, it should be both exactly the same in both environments because both environments now, Mac OS, iPad OS, TV OS, Watch OS, everything can now use Swift UI. So this means that everyone has capability of binding, everyone has capability of state and uh, observable objects and all of those different things that you want. So you can utilize it anywhere. Yeah, it makes sense. Are there other design patterns that fit really well with the view model pattern? There is another design pattern. Uh, it's very different from the MVVM design pattern, which is called the Redux design pattern. Mm-hmm. But that is completely separate. So if you're building an app, you either have to go with MVVM or you have to go with Redux. I mean, you can always mix and match, but it's usually a good idea to go with one or the other. And Redux design pattern is completely different from MVVM because it's a unidirectional flow. So the The whole idea behind Redux, which is coming from the React world, but Redux is a completely separate entity. It can be used on its own, but usually it's used in React. The whole idea is we have a global state, meaning we put everything in a global state and all the components and views can just access it directly from there. Mm -hmm. The way to access it is, or the way to update the container is through something called a reducer, and reducer's only job is to update the state. And then reducer can, or eventually you can just map those global state properties to your local state, and you can just display those things. So this is very, very different from MVVM. And I've seen a couple of places where people are using it with success. And it's, it's actually a pretty nice pattern. It's obviously used every most of the places in a React world but it is also kind of like making its way to our iOS development using SwiftUI. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of taken the JavaScript world by storm. You know, it, you've got Redux, you know, Apollo Relay in the React world. You've got Vuex for Vue, JS, Angular, it's NGRX. So it's it's a pattern that we're seeing more and more frequently, to be sure. And it's interesting to see it start to show up in the mobile development world outside of, I guess, React Native because a lot of folks use it there too. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a convenient way to manage the state and it is global state, but it, it comes without some of the issues that you typically run into with global state yes. because you, I have, mean, you have a set way of managing it. Yes, 
because there's only like one person who can update it, which is the reducer. And I think one of the benefits that you always obviously get from the Redux state is that once you change the global state, which is Mm -hmm. stored in an environment variable or environment object, once it changes, everyone who is listening or subscribed to the changes of that state, they automatically get the latest copy and they refresh. And you can update the UI. So I think that's a very good way of trickling down the changes from the global state down to everyone so that they are not communicating, siblings are not communicating with each other. If they want some update or new information, they just ask the global state and they get that slice of the state that they're interested in. Right. Is Do you prefer one pattern over the other? I have used uh, MVVM in Microsoft world and in iOS world, and I've mm-hmm. found MVVM to be a little bit more structured when you are building a larger application than much more, I would say, business-oriented applications. But that's obviously not to say that you cannot design this in read as a design pattern. I'm sure that all of this can be done because it is very heavily used in the React community, and they rely on Redux to be the global state container. So in the end, it all comes down to whether your team is more comfortable with one design pattern versus the other. And uh, I don't think there's any wrong way about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it seems pretty straightforward all in all. And, you know, a terrific way of putting your views together. Yes. Is there there anything else that you want to add to this discussion that I haven't asked? I think one of the things that is when you are implementing the from the Redux point of view, I mean, you can do everything on your own, meaning you can just write the reducer, you can write the state, you can write the global state, maintain the global state and everything. Sometimes it will be better to look at some frameworks that are available to, to help you out with that. And one of those frameworks is called RE Swift which is doing exactly the same thing, which means a unidirectional flow using Redux. So instead of doing all the things yourself, creating the store, creating the reducer and middleware and all of those different things, you can always use uh, the RE Swift framework, which is Redux Swift, which will allow you to do all of those different things. Right. One of the main challenges you may find when you are using a Redux design pattern is how to perform and where to perform asynchronous request. And once you perform asynchronous request, you need to get the data, let's say a list of movies from an API, mm-hmm. and then put those movies in the global state so other people can use it or other components can right. use it. And RE Swift framework makes it much easier, but you can obviously write the whole thing yourself by using middlewares, which means that when the action that you're dispatching reaches or before it reaches the reducer, those middlewares are going to get activated and are going to get fired, fetching the data, and then they will dispatch an action. So the best way to perform an asynchronous dispatch is inside the middleware itself. I'm trying to envision what that that actually looks like. So the design, like the, the normal flow for your Redux application is that you click a button, it dispatches an action, that action goes directly to the reducer, Mm -hmm. and the reducer updates the global state. The middleware sits between the action and before your action reaches the reducer. 
So now you click a button, it dispatches an action, the action goes, and now it reaches a reducer middleware. The middleware performs an API request, gets the data, and then it gives it to the reducer and it updates the global state. So that design pattern can definitely help to minimize a lot of asynchronous calls inside the action, but moving them to a middleware. Right. Cool. Now, I think one advice I always give everyone is to, whenever you are learning, trying to learn or trying to do anything with Swift UI or any other new framework, try to look around also to see how other frameworks are doing. React has been around for a very long time. Flutter has been around for a couple of years, but they have a, you know, there's a little bit of a head start, I think. And all of those frameworks are doing similar things because they are in the end very, very similar. And if you learn Swift UI, you can simply jump into React or Flutter or anything you want. It will be much easier for you to check out this different frameworks once you learn one framework. Yep. Cool. Are there any good resources that you recommend as far as that goes for picking up, yeah, how other frameworks do this or even, you know, some examples of where, how, where this has been done with Swift UI? So with the Swift UI, I would definitely recommend checking out the app called Movie Swift UI. And that particular app uses the Redux design pattern. It's actually completely implemented using the Redux design pattern. And it's a very complicated app, and it kind of shows you that what you can easily accomplish with using the Redux design pattern in Swift UI. And it is written by Thomas Rickard, and he's, he's also the creator of different articles. I mean, he has written a lot of articles, and he has spoken at different conferences about using the Redux design pattern into a Swift UI. For MVVM, you can definitely check out my article, which is which will have a link on it, which will talk about how to create Swift UI application using MVVM. And there are some other posts related to view model design patterns and a link to the book. I will try to add the link to the book also that you can read about MVVM design pattern in Swift UI. Nice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start wrapping up. Uh, this has been really interesting, though, and I'm I'm really curious to see, you know, with my own programming, you know, how I can implement things like this. You don't happen to have a Udemy course or anything on this, do you? So I do have a couple of Udemy courses. One Udemy course is about just the Surf UI itself. And the name of that course is Surf UI Declarative Interfaces for Any Apple Device, a long name. But... Swift UI declarative interfaces for any Apple device. It's only for Swift UI. It does have a small section on the MVVM design pattern, but usually, I mean, that particular course, 20 plus hours of course, just covers Swift UI itself and different integration with core data, core ML, pneumorphic design, Swift UI for iOS 14, all of the stuff it, it actually goes into and it covers that. The second course that I have is MVVM design pattern in Swift UI. Now that is only for covering the Swift UI and MVVM design pattern. So if you are interested in MVVM design pattern, then you should check out the MVVM design pattern in Swift UI course. If you're interested in learning Swift UI, then you should check out Swift UI declarative interfaces for Apple device. Cool. We'll get links to all that in the show notes. 
All right. Well, before we wrap up, I guess I ought to ask, do you have anything exciting coming down the pipe? Other Udemy courses, interesting stuff going on at Digital Crafts, anything like that? Yes. So currently I am working on my another course, which is Swift UI using the Redux design pattern. And hopefully it will be available by the end of this month. I'm also actually waiting for my new iMac, which hopefully will arrive by tomorrow. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, with Digital Crafts, if you are always interested, I mean, if you're interested in anyone interested in learning about web development, our classes are all remote and they're immersive classes, meaning 16 week or flex classes like 24 weeks. So you can definitely check it out on digitalcrafts.com. Nice. A couple of years ago, I put out a survey asking people what topics they wanted us to cover on devchat.tv. And I got two overwhelming responses. One was from the JavaScript community. They wanted a React show. And the other one was from the Ruby community and they wanted an Elixir show. So we started both. The React show though is React Roundup. And every week we bring in people from the React community and we have conversations with them about React, about the community, about open source, about what goes into React, how to build React apps, and what's going on and changing in the React community. So if you're looking to keep current on the current React ecosystem and what's going on in React, you definitely need to be checking out React Roundup. You can find it at reactroundup.com. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. You've been on the show before, so you know the deal with picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? Yes. So my pick is a book called Upstream. And it's not a technology book or anything. It's written by Dan Heath. And it's about... Good author. And yes, it's, it's a really good book. And it talks about solving the problems before the problems actually happen. And I think it's a timely book because of the current situation that we are in. But I live in Houston and obviously it floods most of the time in the year. And so how can we solve those kind of problems? I mean, it, it's a very, very thought-provoking book. So I highly recommend that you read it. It's called Upstream by Dan Keith. Nice. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and throw out some picks of my own. So a few things that I've really been enjoying lately. I've been working. uh, I had to go get a full-time job, and I'm hoping that it's going to be fairly temporary. But in the meantime, I've really been enjoying just taking some time out to kind of catch up on some of the technologies that I'm not as familiar with that they're using. It's a Ruby on Rails position, so I'm, you know, I'm learning Docker and things like that. But yeah, I'm going to shout out about that because I'm, I'm really enjoying Docker and uh, Docker Compose. And then I'm also starting to get into a little bit more of the AWS uh, stuff. And there are a couple of courses that I've been looking at there and, and working my way through. So I'll put links to those in the show notes as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm really digging that. And then I'm working on putting together a most valuable.dev summit in December. And basically the question is, is if you woke up tomorrow, you were a mid-level developer in a regular job and you wanted to turn your career into something bigger or more spectacular or just, you know, be the most valuable dev for your team, what kinds of things would you start doing today and then over the next 30, 60, and 90 days to get there? And I'm really excited about this. I'm going to start reaching out to speakers here within the next week, but I'm really, really digging that. And then one last pick I have is we just launched a machine learning podcast called Adventures in Machine Learning. So if you're interested in that, you could go check it out as well. Just go to devchat.tv and you'll see it in under new podcasts. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I've got. 
Thanks for coming, Azam. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. All right, folks, we're going to wrap this one up. And until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.